0: Amen. Well, wherever you are today, I know that we're glad you're worshiping with us. Uh, I've certainly missed seeing each of your faces uh, and long to be back with each of you soon. Uh, As I said last week, we're preparing uh, plans uh, to regather in a modified and safe way. And with that said, I'm excited to announce that our first service back together will be Sunday, uh, next Sunday, May 31st at 10 a.m. here at Learning Gate Community School. We're going to gather outside. I'm not going to preach. It's going to be a toddler Friendly service uh, for the entire family to join in and, and praise the Lord. I'm excited. Uh, I think it's going to be a powerful and memorable time in the life of our church uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, we're going to sing. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate together as the, as the gathered body of Christ, celebrating the start of our regathering, singing, and worshiping all together uh, before we move back inside with a few more restrictions. Um, and after that, we have a tentative date for June 7th. Uh, Marked on our calendar as back inside here at Learning Gate with uh, with two small services with plenty of room uh, to to spread out Uh, and honestly what we're doing with our kids ministry it's it's still up in the air but I do want to prepare you. Um, Having a designated area where you drop your kids off is not guaranteed. Um, It's likely the kids will actually be in the service uh, when we we all come back together. Uh, But we are working towards creative solutions for our kids and families. Uh, And this is a great reminder for everyone in our church, especially uh, for those with kids and those without kids, to remember that children are a blessing. Children are not a burden. They are a blessing. And this is a time for us to remember that and, and remind each other of that in the midst of this. It's going to be, it's going to be different, um, but I think it's what's best. And, and just so you know, June 7th for most of the churches in our network, uh, specifically in the state of Florida, it's a common date uh, for churches of all sizes. Uh, churches like, as small as ours, and you know, much larger churches than ours, are all kind of gathering together around June 7th. Uh, and also... Churches that we lock arm here with, arms with here in the Tampa area—they've uh, already started to regather, uh, and, and based on—they're they're doing it based off of uh, similar restaurant capacities that are allowed, and so that's kind of their, their rule of thumb they're using. And so uh, we're we're all trying to figure this out together. Uh, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, it'll probably—it may seem strange uh, or different, and that's okay. You know, we're going to be extra cautious with all of this as we start to reopen, and you know. Um, just, just for us to address and to be aware of, um, people, people are all over the board with how they've been affected by this, uh, with their thoughts and how things should be done and the timing of how everything should go. And, and you know what? That's okay too. Uh, as the body of Christ on all sides of the spectrum, we have to remember and to show each other grace and kindness. And we must be, be careful to not let our convictions divide us over this. And as we'll see today, we are the body of Christ that, uh, that gathers under the conviction of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so with that said, today we're going to jump into our final teaching in the book of Mark, uh, and then next week we're going to read small parts of the, of the last two chapters that we've already, we've already covered around the time of Easter, uh, and we're going to take communion together. And so this week, it's, it's really meant to set up next week. Today I'll teach on what we'll visibly practice together next week. Uh, And today's teaching out of Mark 14, in short, is on the preparation of the Passover meal. Uh, It's the Lord's Supper. Uh, It's often called communion or the last supper or the first supper. Uh, Last week we, we saw Jesus teach on the end of the age. And his second return, the very last thing Jesus said was, stay awake, be alert. And then this week, you know, the very next thing, he's, you know, we see uh, Jesus provides a visible illustration of the gospel, of what he's about to endure at the cross. And as we run through these, as we run through these few verses, it, you know, there's a number of themes that we're going to see here such as the betrayal of Jesus, the instruction and in the, in the teaching that Jesus gives, uh, the administering of the Last Supper by Jesus. You know, he's drawing, uh, he's drawing from the Passover in Exodus, uh, which, by the way, that's going to be the next book we're going to go through together, which is going to start uh, in June. Uh, a little ironic, maybe. You know, Let My People Go. Uh, maybe that'll be our, our, the title for our series. I don't know. Uh, this sermon, I think, serves as a good bridge Between Mark and Exodus uh, today, we'll see Jesus fulfilling that he is uh, the great Exodus. And so before we get to our text, I want to give a summary of the importance of the Passover meal just as uh, as a background uh, before we dive in. If you're familiar with the Book of Exodus, uh, just real, just real quick. God's people, they they're in they were in slavery to Egypt under the the rule of Pharaoh. He was a mean ruler. God's people wanted to get out, uh, and Pharaoh would not let them go. So God sends ten plagues, and the final plague was to kill the firstborn in the land of Egypt. However, God made a provision. By allowing them, uh, the families, to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the door of their house as a sign of their faith. And God's wrath would pass over their house, sparing their firstborn. And they were eventually able to cross through the Red Sea, a miraculous and monumentous event in itself where God parted the waters, escaping the hand of Pharaoh. And thus, each year after this, the Jews celebrated Passover by sacrificing a lamb and sharing a meal, remembering God's great deliverance. And then just a note uh, for today, as a little bit more background information going into our passage, uh, while they were in the wilderness after all this happened, uh, they, where after they escaped the hands of Pharaoh, God provided manna, a bread-like food for them from heaven, which is uh, why Jews also celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread around the time of Passover, which we'll see come up in the first verse of our story. Uh, and so uh, this pass or, or the, the, the second verse of our story, and so this Passover meal was a big deal. It was a big celebration with lots of meaning and symbolism. And then as we'll see, Jesus comes in. He comes in as the host of the Passover meal and shows them something different. And he got away from the typical, he got away from the typical script uh, of explaining uh, what typically happened, uh, which, was, which was a bit scandalous in itself, which leads us to our main idea that we'll see in the midst of all of this. And it's that Jesus came to be both the host of the feast and the sacrificial lamb for the feast. I intentionally say feast here because this feast, it was simultaneously both the Passover meal looking backwards and the first Lord's Supper as instruction for us today as communion, while also hinting in the future, looking forward to the marriage supper of the lamb that is to come. This meal, uh, this... Uh, this feast, so to speak, spans the entire Bible in both meaning and purpose. And so for us here today, I pray that, that we would be attentive and alert with great anticipation and we would feast on God's word, sing, uh, and as, just kind of preparing to see next week a visible illustration of the gospel as we take communion. And so, I've, so as I've done throughout this entire series, you know, I've got two simple points in line with what Jesus' purpose was, with what he came to do. And, and it's that, number one, Jesus came to be the host of the feast, and number 2, Jesus came to be the sacrificial lamb for the feast. Before I start teaching today in our text, I know there's 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 many reasons why you should uh, why this passage is important and why you should listen, but there's two reasons specifically I want to give for us today. The first reason this is important is because, well, Jesus, Jesus said it was important. This is a visible picture to help us remember the gospel, to help us remember the work of Christ. You know, Next week, as I've been saying, all of us together will proclaim the gospel to each other through communion to help us remember and to visibly see the gospel, to see it with our eyes. And to those who aren't Christians and are with us, which for many of us may be our kids, it's a picture of the gospel to see with their eyes the gospel passing by them and before them. And so the gospel will be proclaimed as we take communion visually to all those who are present. So first, we do it as a way to see and remember the gospel. But then secondly, intertwined in our story, there's there's a unique story of betrayal and abandonment. Which is uh, which? If we're honest with ourselves, uh, we all have both experienced and probably caused in some form uh, betrayal. We've we've all done this in some form or fashion. And so mixed in with this, the greatest meal that's ever taken place in the history of the world is also, I would venture to say, the greatest act of betrayal that's ever taken place in the history of, of the world. The great meal also held great betrayal. And it happened simultaneously at the same time. We'll see today Jesus was betrayed by Judas, by one of the 12 that was closest to him, that saw his face, that talked with him regularly, that saw him perform miracles and heal people, a man that listened to him teach and watched him interact with others. Judas was close with Jesus. Judas, uh, Jesus served him Jesus cared for him. Jesus spoke truth to Judas. Jesus invested his life in Judas, and then Judas betrayed him. All the while, as an act of mercy, in the midst of abandonment and a betrayal, when all this is happening, Jesus continues and still makes the gospel shine bright in the midst of betrayal. And so if you have, in some way, been abandoned or betrayed, I pray that you would listen in. Uh, because Jesus knows what it feels like. Jesus, Jesus can relate with you. Jesus understands the hurt, which leads us to our first verse, setting up the, the backdrop of betrayal. Look with me in Mark 10, starting in verse 10. And when Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Something that's interesting here uh, that with, with the beginning of Judas's betrayal was that Judas went out of his way to go to the chief priest to betray him. It says, in verse, it says in verse 11, it says, He sought it. They didn't come to him and manipulate him as a source of evil on the outside. That's not what they did. No, he in his own will sought to betray Jesus for money. He did it for 30 pieces of silver we see in the book of Matthew. And the chief priest says in verse 11, it says, they were glad. They were glad. The chief priests were glad that he did it. Thus, beginning the greatest act of betrayal in history, betraying the Son of Man, betraying Jesus Christ himself, while simultaneously putting in motion the gospel, in the gospel of Mark, putting in motion the impending crucifixion of Jesus, uh, and then the scene abruptly shifts. It shifts from a scene of darkness and betrayal to a scene of preparation where Jesus, the host, is preparing and anticipating the Passover meal with his disciples. And look what it says, starting in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, that that holiday, "when when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two disciples, two of his disciples and said to them, You know, I I kind of think this is a little funny. Uh, It it feels like a scavenger hunt in some ways. Uh, It's the first day of the holiday of the unleavened bread. Uh, They're they're getting ready for the Passover. Preparations for Passover were made on Thursday afternoon, which uh, let me remind you, uh, this was the day before the Friday of Jesus's death. And Jesus, he sends out two disciples to the city and says, uh, there will be a man carrying a jar of water. That's your guy. My first thought is, well, a name could be helpful, uh, or who is this guy? Why is this guy with this water jug? Why is he important? And Jesus says, uh, he'll he'll be carrying a jar of water. That's your guy. Well, uh, which during that time, it would have been very obvious, actually, because uh, culturally, women women would have been the ones carrying jars of water. And then Jesus says, when you find that water jug guy, when you find him, uh, follow him. And wherever he goes, ask the master of that house that he enters where the large upper room is. It'll be furnished and that room will be ready to go. And then uh, you, you can begin preparing the Passover meal. Which all of this leads us to believe either that Jesus uh, planned this ahead of time or, or it was a miraculous act of God where he knew the details of the event or, or maybe both. I don't know. Either way, we see that Jesus was planning and preparing this feast to be the host of the feast. And so all of this makes it fair to say that, number one, Jesus was the host of the Passover meal. And typically, whoever, whoever is hosting the meal was teaching and retelling the story of Exodus. Exodus explaining everything on the plate, you know, the symbolism of the four cups, the herbs, the meat, the unleavened bread. Uh, And as we go through these first points, this first point, there's four observations that I want to make about the host of the meal, about Jesus specifically as the host. And the first one we've already seen, uh, Jesus, the host, uh, planned the feast. I bring this up because as we think about all that has happened at this event, and specifically what it symbolizes, uh, it's important to remember that Jesus that Jesus planned this event. Jesus planned this Passover meal, reminding us that his crucifixion was also planned ahead of time. Jesus' death was not a random man-planned act. It was planned before the foundation of the world by the God of the universe. And so... We, as, so as we look at this event and ask the question, why why is it important that Jesus was the host of the Passover meal? Like, why is this, why do we even bring that up? Why is this important? I bring this up because as I said, Jesus was also the host for his crucifixion. God planned the crucifixion, crucifixion, not man or Pilate or the Roman soldiers or Judas who betrayed him. Yes, Judas betrayed him, which began to put in motion the acts that led to his death. But as we know, the cross was not put in motion by Judas's betrayal alone. The cross was put in motion by the sin of the world that started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve betrayed God in the Garden. And for us here today, when we see Judas's betrayal, it's a glimpse into the heart of every man and woman on this planet, including you and me. Because just like Judas had a choice to not go to the chief priest, to not betray Jesus, but stay with him in loyalty, we have the choice to follow Jesus. But yet every day, as fully responsible humans, just like Judas, we betray God in our sin. (laughs) You may have already caught on to this, but this is a small glimpse into what's called a divine paradox, a great mystery of the faith you know, on one side, Judas is fully responsible for his actions. He betrayed Jesus, setting in motion the cross, while at the same time, God, in his full control and sovereignty, was the one that sent Jesus to the cross, the one that planned the cross for Jesus to take on the sin of the world. Jesus going to the cross was God's plan, not Judas's plan. But Judas was still fully responsible for his actions. This should be a great encouragement for us today because God holds the whole world in his hands. He sees everything. He knows everything. And we can be confident that we're not left to the chaos of the world, but rather we're guided by God's sovereign will and plan. And for us today, as we keep moving and consider the visible picture of of the gospel at the Lord's Supper, I bring this up because we keep as the backdrop of the gospel that we are fully responsible for our sin, that we should be grieved, that we are responsible to seek repentance, while God at the same time is is in full control and sovereign over our lives that God is working in us and changing us to be more like him. This should inevitably lead us in a state of complete humility and dependence on the Lord. We have to hold these in tension because the Bible holds them in tension. That's, that's one to chew on for a while, uh, but we're going to keep moving. Look back at Mark 14, starting in verse 17. And, it was, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me for the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And so it's it's Thursday night, uh, the night before Jesus's death, and they're sitting down at the table. Well, Actually, it says they were reclining at the table. Uh, they typically had low tables in a U-shape, uh, and then we kind of lean back, kind of laying down, possibly uh, setting the scene. You know, as a meaningful time, showing great intimacy of friendship uh, and camarader- camaraderie among the disciples uh, with Jesus. And in the middle of a very meaningful time, I just imagine everyone kind of smiling, uh, sharing great stories, laughing together, enjoying each other's company. You know, I imagine just kind of music playing and maybe soft music playing in the background. And then Jesus comes out in verse 18 and says, one of you will betray me. Talk about killing the mood, right? I mean, if, if there were music, I imagine at this point, uh, it just stopped and everyone stopped in silence with great tension in the air. The air is thick. And then it says in verse 19, it says, they began to be sorrowful and they were wondering who it was. And Jesus said, it's one of the 12. <laughs> he said earlier, it was one of the 12, meaning it's one of my closest, it's one of my close disciples that will betray me which leads us to our second observation. Jesus, the host, was betrayed at the feast. And then in verse 21, uh, making a a very theologically profound uh, and significant statement, which feeds and reiterates what I just talked about earlier. Uh, He said, The Son of Man goes as it is written, reminding both them and us yet again, uh, this was known long before this event reminding them that it was prophesied that he would be betrayed and sold for 30 pieces of silver, just like it happened. Thus it says, the Son of Man goes as it is written, but then what Jesus says next in verse 21, as we already read, it's shocking. I'm going to read it again. He said, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. (laughs) indicating that the destruction of Judas, it will be great. Judas will be held responsible for his actions. In this moment, Jesus was giving, he was giving Judas an opportunity to repent and turn away, warning him as he's showing him his visible unbelief to whom Jesus claims to be. Jesus is letting Judas know that he knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's about to do. But as we know, in the events that lead after this, it didn't happen. Judas did not repent. Rather, Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed the host. And so, for us here today, we must ask Have you too betrayed Jesus through sin and disobedience? If so, do not miss the opportunity to repent and turn back into good standing with Jesus in the way that happens. The way in which we're made in good standing with God to turn back towards God is what Jesus puts on display next, and it's the gospel. The only way to be put back in good standing with God is through Jesus, through trusting in his life, death, and resurrection. And so we've seen Jesus, the host of the feast. We saw that he was betrayed at the feast, and yet in the middle of his betrayal, the next thing we see, the next observation we see is Jesus the host, in the middle of that he still served the feast. Jesus the host served the feast. What happens next? It's an unbelievable act of grace and kindness. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed by one of the 12 disciples by a man he lived life with. He taught regularly, and as we know from the book of John, Jesus just washed this man's feet. Jesus just served Jesus. Uh, Judas showing a great act of humility before him. And so uh, you would think that Jesus would have just kicked him out of that house and had him escorted out just full-on Medea style, right? Just completely booting him out. But no, he models grace and mercy and kindness. He models what he will soon do for all of humanity, for all of humanity that has turned and abandoned and betrayed God. He will soon visibly show how he will once and for all do what he has repeatedly been doing since the beginning of creation. He he models patience and grace and mercy and begins to teach and put on display what Judas and the disciples needed the most. Jesus then begins and to put the gospel on display. And he does it in the middle of great rebellion, abandonment, and betrayal. And great betrayal is the backdrop to the feast that symbolizes the gospel. And then we see Jesus, the host, begin to serve the meal. While he also begins to teach. And as we read this, we see Jesus serving his guest uh, and displaying a picture of the gospel. Uh, he's, He's bringing it to them. He's serving the gospel to them. He's, he's giving it to them. Look what he says next, starting in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank. And, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In the middle of this meal, Jesus the host uh, goes off script and he teaches something that they had never heard before, which leads us to our our last observation in this point. Jesus the host taught the feast, as was typical of this Passover meal, Uh, that, that reminded people of various parts of the Exodus, the story of Exodus that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, starting in June. You know, as I said earlier, these, there were various foods that symbolized different parts of this story at this meal. The matzah, the unleavened bread, symbolized hardship of slavery. Uh, there was a green leafy vegetable that symbolized the flourishing uh, before Pharaoh. There was a bitter uh, herb that symbolized the bitterness of slavery. There was a pasty mixture of, of, of fruits and nuts, symbolizing the mortar for the Brits. There was a, there was a shank bone, symbolizing the sacrificial lamb, you know, along with various other foods that were at this table. But Jesus stands up in the middle of their meal, takes the bread, and breaks it. And this bread that was once symbolized as the hardship of slavery, he says, now symbolizes the hardship he will soon endure at the cross. He says, take this bread, my body, showing that the body of Jesus, Jesus's body, Jesus himself, went to the cross in our place. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 says, this is my body which, I, which, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. With the backdrop of sin and betrayal going into this, Jesus looks at them and displays to them. In spite of that, he says, I'm going to give to you my body. I'm going to give to you my entire self as a gift. Jesus went to the cross knowing it was done in betrayal, displaying the ultimate grace and kindness of God. And as we know, he didn't just give his body at the cross. He also shed his blood because the shedding of blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus goes on to teach in verse 23. It says, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. What's, what's interesting about this are the cups that were present at this meal. Pastor Tim Keller, he was, he was really helpful for me in a lot of this. Uh, At a typical Passover meal, there were four cups of wine taken and drank at different parts of the meal. Uh, Each cup symbolizes different parts of the story of Exodus. You know, they symbolize the four promises that were made in Exodus uh, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. If you want to go look that up on your own, uh, the first cup symbolized God's promise to rescue his people. The second cup symbolized God's promise to deliver. His people. And the third cup, which is often believed to be this cup that Jesus is now referencing, is the promise to redeem his people. In Exodus, it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And so Jesus, with this third cup, the cup that we uh, take in remembrance with communion, Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The blood of Jesus, the third cup, it's our way of redemption. It's our way of redemption. It's the only way we can be forgiven and be put in good standing with God. As Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 7, it says, in him, in, in Jesus We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our our sins, according to the riches of his grace. And so with the backdrop of sin and betrayal, the blood of Jesus provides a way, the blood of Jesus provides redemption, a redemption through grace and mercy through the body and blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross. And when we put our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, our debt is paid. Our our debt of betrayal, it's paid in full. Which for us today, who have trusted in Christ, we can rejoice and celebrate that our sins are gone, that our debt has been paid in full. The burden of sin and guilt is gone. It's gone. Let Let it go. Christian, hear this today. Do not sit in the weight and guilt of what Jesus has already paid in full. Repent and turn away from it and celebrate that Jesus has already paid it fully. He redeemed you fully by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus was and is enough. Christian, believe that today. We need this. We desperately need this. This this truth, it it never gets old. It's new and fresh every day for us. Every time we sin, it's new and fresh and it never stops and it never gets old. We need it every day. And then Jesus says in verse 25, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Thus the fourth cup that that he will not drink until that day when he drinks it new, he says, uh, in the kingdom of God. Do you, know, do you know what the fourth cup uh, that he was withholding at, the Passover meal, at this Passover meal, what he was withholding? That fourth cup symbolized a renewed relationship with God. Typically, that's what it symbolized at the Passover meal. In Exodus, the promise is, I will take you as my people. Jesus withholds the fourth cup for when he can take us as new in the kingdom of God. What a glorious day that will be when we look at the feast, the Lord, the first Lord's Supper, as Jesus hosting the feast. We can be confident that He will also host, host the great feast that is to come. Whenever we take communion, it looks back to the cross in thankfulness and remembrance of what he did. It causes us to be introspective, to look inward and search out our heart to seek seek, uh, the present day repentance. And then also it looks forward, longing for the day when we see him face to face, when we will be completely and finally altogether new. We are declared fully new now through redemption, but we will be fully made new in completion when we are with him as his people forever in eternity. You know, there's a, there's a subtle distinction, but, but both are great and both are considered good news for us. We are declared new through the gospel now, but it will be fully realized when we will be fully new without sin, when we are with Jesus in eternity. And so uh, wrapping up this first point, Jesus the host, he planned the feast, he was betrayed at the feast, he served the feast, and he taught the feast. But there's but there's one significant thing that we haven't talked about. Uh, when Jesus is teaching, he said, Take my body and my blood and eat it as a symbol. Jesus was the host of the feast, but he was also the feast itself. He was, as he's called himself many times, he was the bread of life. And what many writers have brought up about this uh, is that there was never any evidence of a lamb at this feast. It, it It wasn't mentioned in any of the gospel accounts. The lamb was an important part of the Passover meal because the blood of the lamb saved his people from God's wrath. The lamb was the sacrifice in Exodus that was substituted for the death of the firstborn children that were to die. And not a single New Testament writer writes about the lamb being present because it becomes very clear that the lamb was indeed present because Jesus was the lamb. Jesus was the host of the feast and Jesus was also the sacrificial lamb for the feast. Jesus hosted the feast and he was the feast, which leads us to our last point. Number two, Jesus was the lamb of the Passover meal. The lamb wasn't on the table, but the lamb was at the table because Jesus was the lamb that would be slain and sacrificed. The lamb in Exodus was, and this is a big word for us today, it was a substitutionary sacrifice for the firstborn children. They would sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost and the firstborn child would be saved and they would be passed over. If the lamb was not sacrificed, it showed unbelief, and God's wrath was poured out. And so Jesus, God's only son, was the sacrifice for the world, for those that believed and put their faith in Jesus. And just like in Exodus, where faith was necessary to save your firstborn child from God's wrath by sacrificing a lamb and putting the blood over the doorpost. Faith today is also necessary by believing and trusting in the sacrificial Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, where His blood was poured out on the cross for our sins. Faith in Jesus, faith in the Lamb of God, is necessary to be saved from God's wrath. Because here's the problem God's wrath must be poured out because sin and betrayal, it happened. Sin and betrayal must be dealt with. It either comes on us, the betrayer, or it goes on Jesus, the Lamb of God. This is the gospel. God's wrath must be poured out and dealt with. But the question is, who is taking the wrath of God? Is it us? Or or is it Jesus? Jesus the Lamb of God, the substitution, the substitute sacrifice. And so when we take communion, we take the bread and the cup, we are reminding ourselves and those watching that, yes, we believe this is an outward symbol of our belief, much like the symbol of the blood of the doorposting indicated. It's an outward symbol. It's nothing more than that. This symbol, it does not save you. It's just a symbol saying, my faith and my trust is in Jesus, God's wrath passed over me and was poured out onto Jesus, the substitutionary sacrifice. Of what we often, this is what we often say here, uh, more simply, Jesus went in our place. He was a substitution for us through faith. We get subbed out and Jesus gets subbed in. He went in our place. He takes God's wrath for us. This is the great exchange. This is the great substitution. And when we take communion, which we'll do next week to celebrate this great truth. We're saying to the world that Jesus has come in my place. Jesus was substituted in to take God's wrath in my place. Jesus' blood was poured out instead of my blood being poured out. I was the one who betrayed, but Jesus was the punishment for my betrayal. And with this great exchange, God takes our judgment, God takes our punishment and gives us his reward. And so as we close out our time and think about how Jesus was abandoned and betrayed while we were Uh, While we were the abandoner, and while we were the betrayer, the reward that God gives is this final cup. It's the promise that we become become his people. We betrayed him in our sin, yet through the gift of the gospel, he makes us his people. He brings us into his family. (laughs) Get this. through what what communion symbolizes, we're brought into a new family as God's people, a family of people who realize we were once the betrayer and the abandoner, yet God showed us mercy by giving up his body and by shedding his blood. So in response, as we prepare to take communion next week as a family of God in unity under the banner of the gospel, I want to call us to prepare our hearts by reflecting, by reflecting on this idea of betrayal. I don't, I don't know how this strikes a chord with you. I know this is, this is probably heavy and, and that's okay, but maybe you have been the betrayer in a relationship where you need to seek repentance and forgiveness Maybe you have been the one who has been betrayed, maybe uh, by a person, maybe intentionally, or maybe unintentionally. Maybe it's just a feeling of betrayal that manifests itself in loneliness or isolation. Maybe by some sort of expectations or goals that you had that somehow have betrayed you. Or maybe you just feel betrayed by your circumstances. Whatever it is, you're struggling to, maybe you're struggling to move forward. Maybe it's through a reconciliation or forgiveness or trying to let go of harbored bitterness or trying to find a sense of purpose. I don't, I don't know what it is and I don't know what it looks like in your life. But I know that Jesus, the God who saved us, also experienced great betrayal. And, and he can relate with you either as, uh, he can relate with you uh, in your betrayal He knows what you're going through, how you feel, what you need the most in the gospel. Or I wouldn't be surprised if if some have felt as if they were betrayed by God. Maybe during this quarantine, wondering why why in the world, God? Why God, why is this happening? Why is this this way? As as Christians, we, we know that's not true. Uh, that God has not abandoned us, but that doesn't mean we still don't feel it. We, still, we can still feel that way sometimes. But I want to call us today, as we prepare to take communion next for next week, and taking the Lord's Supper altogether, remembering the body and blood of Jesus, I want to call us to be reminded that God did not and has not betrayed us. Rather, He was the one that was betrayed. And in spite of being betrayed by the sin of the world, as an act of unconditional love and perfect love, as we know and see in the remaining chapters of Mark, uh, he still went to the cross, died, and rose again to give up hope, a mission, to give us a hope, a mission, and a purpose, uh, sealed with a promise that if we're in Christ, that we will one day be with him at the final feast, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, dining with Jesus, breaking bread with Jesus, celebrating and worshiping Jesus as the host with our family with our new family, all redeemed and all made new by the blood of Jesus. And this (laughs) New City Church is one of the main, one of the many reasons why I'm so excited to gather again next Sunday, to worship and celebrate with each of you. And we're on the feast of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, you you are good. Father, you came in our place. Father, your, your body uh, was given for us. Your blood was shed for us. Father, you are the lamb of God that came uh, in our place, that took on the wrath of God on the cross. Father, I, I pray that if there is anyone listening and that if they uh, have not trusted in Jesus, that they today, that you would, uh, that they would trust in Jesus. Put faith in Jesus. Father, may we reflect and remember of what God has done. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.